When I look in the mirror, I don't see wrinkles. When I look in the mirror, I see hair on my head, not my shoulder. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. And we have one of those shows today where we will not have enough time to cover everything. We're going to be speaking with Mommy Gumphrey, and she is an attorney, senior attorney with the AARP Foundation. Uh, and she's going to talk to you about an amicus brief. That amicus actually means a friend, a friend of the court, that has been filed by the AARP. And I don't think I have to tell you what the AARP is, but we'll go through that a little bit as well, uh, to support the validation of the Affordable Care Act. And this was fascinating to me because the Affordable Care Act, Medicare and Medicaid, in many people's minds, are three different kinds of health plans. So that once you become 65 and you become a Medicare-eligible individual, you can forget everything else, unless you buy some supplemental insurance or you buy an Advantage plan. You go out of the loop in many people's mind, of the Affordable Care Act that covers everybody else. But that's not true. And what we're going to be revealing today um, is where there's an interface between what happens to the Affordable Care Act and what might happen to your coverage if you're Medicare eligible and perhaps even Medicaid eligible. We'll make that distinction, too. So, Mommy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, you know, you're doing a lot of work to support a particular case that will stop the invalidation of the Affordable Care Act, and you've got some very big reasons for it. Uh, You believe that there could be an age tax, and we'll talk about what that means. Maybe the pre-existing condition protections uh, are in danger. We'll talk about that. But first, let's talk a little bit about the case itself. Uh, just set it up for us so we understand the stage that it's at right now in the courts. Well, thank you very much. For starters, this case started in a federal district court in Texas, and it really started with Congress taxing the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. And one of the things that Congress did as part of that act is they elim- they reduced the penalty for not having insurance to zero. So prior to that, when the Affordable Care Act was passed, there was a penalty for not having um, having insurance. And there were, of course, some exceptions to that penalty, but the penalty was around $700. And what the Tax Cut and Jobs Act did was reduce that to zero. Well, a group of states led by Texas then took that and stated that since the individual mandate penalty was now zero, it then made the Affordable Care Act in its entirety invalid. And that was challenged and filed in the federal district court in Texas. In December, that court agreed with that group and then said that the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, was now invalid. And that case was then appealed by a group of states 
led by California and also the United States House of Representatives to the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, which is a federal appellate. And so currently the case is in the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit on appeal, challenging the judge's decision below, finding the entire ACA to be invalid. So what everybody has to understand is if you're ever going to get to the Supreme Court of the United States, which this may or may not get to, but if you're going to have jurisdiction there, one of the ways is to go through this process that Mommy is telling us about, and that goes to the appellate uh, court federal level, and then it can go uh, be appealed again yet to the Supreme Court. They may or may not take the case. We don't know where that's going to be. But right now, it's for your purposes, right below what the Supreme Court would be have, uh, have jurisdiction. And what happened is, is actually kind of simple. Because one particular and very important part of the ACA uh, penalizing people who did not join the program became invalid as something that you couldn't do, can't force people to get insurance is what they, they said. It opened the door for possibly knocking out the entire act. And the entire act is very vast. It, it, it deals with many, many things. So we're going to focus right now, um, and the AARP has focused, of course, AARP Foundation, on the interface between the Affordable Care Act and us, people who are a little bit older. So let's unpack this now. One of the things that you're concerned about and one of the reasons that you brought the brief in the first place to make sure that the Affordable Care Act does not go under is you're concerned about pre-existing conditions. Now, explain to us, if Medicare is what covers us and we don't have a pre-existing condition under Medicare, why would challenging the ACA possibly cause us a problem with pre-existing conditions? In terms of pre-existing conditions, everyone needs to be aware that over 100 million United Americans have pre-existing conditions, but this disproportionately affects older adults. The reason why this is the reason why this is important is because prior to the passage of the ACA, insurance companies could legitimately discriminate against older adults with pre-existing conditions. They often would not be able to get coverage, or if they even were able to get coverage, the coverage would be extremely expensive in terms of premiums or even would limit benefits to only certain issues or certain services and not the services that would help with their pre-existing condition. And I do want to give some insight into what was considered to be a pre-existing condition. A pre-existing sure. condition could be as vast as having rheumatoid arthritis, chronic headaches, um, heart disease, kidney stones, high blood pressure. So there was a wide range of what was considered to be a pre-existing condition that really for many people, um, and I'm first going to be talking about the people from age 50 to 64, really ended right. up with them absolutely being able to not access health insurance or if they could access health insurance that insurance being unaffordable. Um, so those who um, were not straight up denied health insurance and who could afford it or who could, I say, access it, 
often found themselves making choices between rent, food, utility bills, and actually being able to get insurance. Um, you may recall pre-2010 the number of people that would be declaring bankruptcy. Um, you know, they had one study that showed that 29 million people depleted their resources. Oftentimes, um, people would end up, you know, having to make very drastic choices if they did have medical medical costs in terms of being able to try um, and avoid financial ruin. So now we used one of to call those, those medical bankruptcies. Yes, yes, exactly. They, medical bankruptcies. Very, yeah, very much on the rise, and I just did a chart actually on um, how healthcare might, of all things, be the thing that could ruin your retirement uh, financially, yes. of course. Uh, and it's really it's it's pretty devastating. Some of the things are not covered by anything like long term care, but other things are uh, are covered. But the insurance is very expensive. So before we take a little bit of a break, I, I do want to make sure that we talk also just a moment and introduce this concept of the age tax, which I know that the AARP Foundation is very concerned with. Yes, the age tax is very concerning because what was happening is that. Insurance companies were charging older adults much higher rates than younger adults, even people who were completely healthy. Um, for two people who were completely healthy, so the older adult is completely healthy and has similar health condition than a younger adult, insurance companies were sometimes charging older adults as much as six times as much as the younger adult based solely based on age. And again, the result of that was that even healthy people who wanted to get insurance were not able to because it was really cost prohibitive. So one of the things that the ACA does is that it limits the amount an insurance company can charge an older adult based solely on their age to a three-to-one ratio. And this has realized significant cost savings for older adults. So that's, again, one of the consumer protections that the Affordable Care Act presents. And one thing I do want to add is that as a shorthand, everyone calls the Affordable Care Act the Affordable Care Act or the ACA. But one thing I find to be particularly um, significant is that the full name is really the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. So we really need to underscore the number of patient protections that are involved with the Affordable Care Act. That and we're going to t- uh, take a little bit of a break, and we're going to have a, uh, a few moments, as I say, for station identification. And we're going to be back, and we're going to look at that interface, the interface between the patient protections that might go away and ones that we hopefully will you stay think that because of the act. Of we'll be right back. Don't go away. That doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy, and I freely admit and hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. So the first thing I want to do is give a shout-out uh, to Denver, Colorado. I had such a wonderful time at their aquarium giving a speech to over 200 people on purpose, power, and passion in aging. And it was a wonderful time, a terrific evening. Thank you, Jeff Townsend. It was just delightful. 
Uh, I also want to make sure that all of you know that there is now a blog associated with our show, and it is a, a blog published by the eminent Bottom Line Personal, the largest newsletter in the country on personal information. And my blog uh, for their publishing house is called Aging for Beginners. So for those of you who like to read as well as like to listen, just uh, Google Aging for Beginners, my name is Adrian Berg, or Bottom Line Personal, and you'll not only uh, get some really interesting articles, but we have videos too on there. And one that I've been working on today, this very day, relates to our guest. Uh, it is the health wealth, the health wealth uh, connection. Uh, without it, without both the health and the wealth, your retirement is not going to be what you want it to be. And there's a group that you know. Everybody knows the AARP and the AARP Foundation. And we have with us today Mami Gumphrey, who is senior attorney over at the AARP Foundation, fighting very hard for what she feels is a patient protection cause. An amicus brief has been filed in the federal courts to be sure that the Affordable Care Act, in all of its permutations that deal with older age, are not um, invalidated. Now, that's happening right now. Amicus briefs have been filed. They're waiting for the other side to file their briefs, and that's, that's the status of the case, we'll say. But I did want to mention one thing, and then we're going to jump right back uh, to Mommy and her, her, her broad view of patient protection in this particular case. It's very interesting. What was just said uh, by you was that insurance companies could age rate people. In other words, people of the same health status would pay more just because of their age. Now, in the field of life insurance, the opposite is happening. They're looking at people as how many more years they have to live. So if somebody's 30 years old and they're in a health condition where they may have 15 years to live, they'll pay the same as somebody who's 70 years old but is in a health condition where they may have 15 years to live. There is age-related costs even in life insurance, but it's becoming less and less. It was fascinating to me what you said, that in the, the health insurance area, age rating was still the norm, and that uh, there was help here in the ACA. I think it's important for you to go back and, and tell everybody about this again, because you call it an age tax, and it is part of ageism. There's no question about it. So, so let's make sure everybody uh, understands what the age tax could be and how the Affordable Care Act could maybe minimize that. Great. So um, prior to the passage of the ACA, insurers often charged um, pre-Medicare adults, and again, these are the people between ages 50 and 64, exorbitant rates, sometimes as much as six times greater than younger adults, based solely on their age. And this practice is known as the age rating or are you putting an age tax on the cost of health insurance? And so one of the things that the, one of the patient protections that the ACA provided is it, it limited how much an older, more an older adult could be charged to a three to one ratio. So they could only be charged three times as much as a younger. And I wanted to just really underscore that this change provided significant cost savings 
to people over the age of 50. So that is one of the great um, patient protections that have been provided through the Affordable Care Act. Um, If I could, I'd like to mention just a couple more. Sure. One being there was a practice, um, Adrian, I'm not sure if you remember this one, of insurers canceling policies of people who became ill or eliminating annual and lifetime coverage, limiting annual and lifetime coverage limits, um, or, or sorry, having annual and lifetime coverage limits. And one of the things that the ACA did as a patient protection is eliminate those types of actions and practices. So, again, these are things that are vital to all Americans, but particularly crucial to older adults. Yes, that's true. I, I remember scandalizing skin cases with ALS, people with ALS, because it was a very long-term, very expensive coverage, and they would have, have a cap on that. Uh, yes. It was really, it was, it was it was very heartbreaking, to be honest with you. It was more than just money. It was, uh, it, you just got the feeling it was wrong. It was one of the areas where insurance companies, which sometimes get a bad rap when they shouldn't, really deserve the bad rap, <laughs> let's put it that way. So, yes, that, that's one of them. Let's hear a couple more, and after that, I do want to talk about that donut hole. I'll explain that in a moment. But more of the protections that you're concerned with here. So in terms of more of the protections that we're concerned with, another protection is um, the setting insurance premiums before based on health-related factors such as disability claims, um, experience, receipt of health care, and Medicare history. All of those kinds of actions are now prohibited. Again, making health insurance more accessible and more affordable for older adults. Um, I can give you an example of, you know, of course, many people spoke to us about their personal experiences after the Affordable Care Act kicked in. And there's this one example that I think is kind of um, exemplifies a lot of other people. And this is a Maryland resident, Mary, who explained how she finally got insurance on the Affordable Care Act marketplace after being precluded from getting insurance because of a pre-existing condition. So she was someone who kind of fell into um, the whole Great Recession where she lost her job due to budget cuts. Right. Um, Through COBRA, she had health insurance after 18 months, and then she tried to get on her own, but it was just too expensive, and she could not get it because she had sleep apnea. So for over a year, she had no insurance, okay? Then when the the Affordable Care Act kicked in and she was able to purchase insurance, the first thing she did was get a pap smear and a mammogram. She ended up being diagnosed with a very aggressive um, strain of breast cancer. Because she had insurance, first of all, it was found, but also she got a lumpectomy, chemotherapy, radiation, and now she is cancer-free. And that is one of the typical stories we hear about people who previously were not able to get health insurance because they had a pre-existing condition or couldn't afford health insurance. But then afterwards, through the specific um, tax subsidies um, and other things available through the individual marketplace, we're finally able to get insurance that really um, you know, saved lives. So that's one of the things about the Affordable Care Act is that for many Thank older you. adults, it was like life. You need to preserve. Yeah, it's like it can be life threatening. When we come back. I want to talk about something that's really very uh, hands-on dollars and cents. You may think prescription drug costs. 
now, everybody. We'll be back in a bit. Because I am happy. And I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da. You may think that I'm full of it. But that doesn't bother me, not even a bit. Because I am happy. And I freely admit I'm inappropriate. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. And the truth is that aging counts. You know, we are living in a society that sometimes don't count on us for anything. They're expecting us to be on the beach somewhere, who knows what, or look for handouts. But no, we spend more, we contribute more, we gift more. More nonprofits have been established in the past 10 years when the baby boomer began on a daily basis to turn 65, 10,000 of us now turn 70 every day. Uh, more nonprofits than in history of the United States. Why? Because there's a lot of volunteers. So we get out there and we really make it happen. And I'm talking today to somebody who is part of an organization that has kind of uh, had the vision way before way before the age wave began, and that is the very well-known AARP and the AARP Foundation. And you're probably a member, too, already. And we're speaking here with their senior attorney, Mommy Gumphrey, uh, because she is fighting a very hard fight to make sure that the uh, Affordable Care Act is not invalidated. Now, uh, we discussed the fact that there's a case right now in the Fifth Circuit, which is a federal court. The only higher level to that would be going to uh, the Supreme Court. The issue is, will the entire act be invalidated? And if so, what's the big deal? And she's been telling us that there is a big deal when it comes to patient protection, particularly folks between the age of 50 and 64 before they get into Medicare. But I wanted to point out something, and I chatted with her for a moment about this, and I I want to make a point here. I was one of those late-life moms, and I had my second child at age 44, So she was eligible for the Affordable Care Act while I was on Medicare, if you do the math. And there are millions of grandparents who are taking care of children. Uh, There are millions of boomerang millennials. They they make a joke, I am in the theater and I am your waiter, and I'm living in my mother's basement or my grandma's basement. So health care for everybody is not just stops when you become eligible for Medicare. It's part of your life, too, uh, and uh, that's that's the facts today. So let's throw it back to you, Mommy, and say, uh, with regard to this, to this issue of patient protection, there is one thing that you explained to me that really is an older person's issue, and that is prescription drugs. Can you explain to us a little bit what is this donut hole and what is the interface between the Affordable Care Act and Medicare when it comes to prescription drugs? Um, yes. Um, um, first of all, for Medicare beneficiaries, I do want to say that they also felt the strain of health care costs, even though they had insurance, before the passage of the ACA. So before the ACA, Medicare Part D, the prescription drug plan, required enrollees to pay the full cost of their drugs in the benefits coverage gap, commonly known as the donut hole. So the yes, way it going works, down the donut hole. 
<laughs> so the way it worked was after receiving, reaching an initial coverage limit, enrollees then had to pay 100% of their prescription drug costs until they spent enough to qualify for catastrophic coverage. And to give you an example of how much that was, in 2010, a Medicare enrollee had to pay had to spend more than $4,000 out of pocket before reaching the catastrophic coverage threshold. And so one of the things that um, happened as a result of that is that some beneficiaries who entered, who entered into the coverage gap, or as we say, the donut hole, had to resort to strategies used before the Medicare even had a prescription drug benefit, which included skipping doses or even not filling prescriptions. So one of the changes that the Affordable Care Act did is that through an escalating process, it closed the donut hole. Therefore, it closed um, how much the person, it closed, first of all, the gap in terms of them not being able to have any sharing when they're paying for their prescription drug benefits. So therefore, right. as opposed to them being entirely responsible, 100% responsible for that amount, it then closed that to make it so that they were going to get some assistance from the government with regard to paying for their prescription drugs. And that was um, extremely important for Medicare beneficiaries. I do also want to say that there were other benefits that Medicare beneficiaries get from the Affordable Care Act. Um, one of the, I call it a myth that's out there about the relationship between the Affordable Care Act, Medicare, and Medicaid is that somehow these are all three separate themes. Yes, definitely however, a bit that. However, I do want to make clear that there are more than 150 provisions of the Affordable Care Act that directly affect the Medicare program. So in terms of looking at the Affordable Care Act, I just want to say first broadly that if the court found that the Affordable Care Act was invalid, um, the Medicare program would really have a lot of physical and administrative chaos that would affect the health care system overall. And I'll give you some examples of that. First, there are several provisions in the Affordable Care Act that are specifically targeted towards improving health care quality but also reducing costs um, and specifically ensuring that the Medicare program is financially sustainable for additional years. Um, one Congressional Budget Office report estimated that eliminating the changes to Medicare Advantage, which is one of the programs under the Medicare right. payments alone, would increase Medicare spending by approximately $350 billion over 10 years. So, uh, again, there are specific programs that actually are targeted towards ensuring that the Medicare program is financially stable. But I also want to talk specifically about Medicare beneficiaries and some benefits that they got in terms of cost savings from the Affordable Care Act. I already mentioned the donut hole, but I also yes. want you to know that as a result of the donut hole, um, closures, you know, I should say steady closures, more than 11 million beneficiaries have saved over 25 million on prescription drugs since 2010. Another great benefit has been the elimination of out-of-pocket costs for several preventative services, such as mammograms, pap smears, diabetes screenings, 
and also the annual free wellness screenings, wellness visits. So again, in 2016, about 40 million Medicare beneficiaries used at least one preventative service, and 10 million had an annual wellness visit with no copay or deductible. So again, I just want to underscore that there are cost savings that Medicare beneficiaries were able to receive from the Affordable Care Act as well. And and the big one also is the sustainability of Medicare because in addition to the specific provisions of the ACA that benefit the financial stability of the program, because the ACA had other components like benefits in the individual marketplace, the people who came from um, came from the marketplace to Medicare, now were costing the Medicare program less because they were entering the Medicare program healthier as opposed That's to someone important. who had never had insurance. Yeah, we, we look at ourselves, but the fact is the cost of our insurance has very little to do with ourselves. Everything is risk evaluated. And so no matter what kind of insurance you have, whether it's government, whether it's a single payer, other people's health is going to affect the cost to the system, not just yours. And when you can reduce uh, the cost for others, when you re- reduce diabetes in somebody else, you're saving money. This is something I try to bring out all the time with regard to self-care. Self-care is really a civic duty because when you uh, cost less, whether it's privately or publicly, you're saving money for everybody. And uh, these preventions, are really important. I've been fighting for audio testing because we can't hear. And it's one of the things that are uncovered. Uh, hearing aids is, is one of the things that are uncovered. And when that happens, socialization gets lower. Socialization is lower. Yeah. People get sicker. Yeah. So uh, prevention is, is truly important. just want to say in the last few seconds, one of the biggest questions that everybody asks me is, is Social Security still there? Is Medicare still going to be there? So when Mommy Gumphy says one of the things that are on her mind is that there's cost savings here and we're preserving the entire system, honestly, to me, that's the key. Because uh, at Washington Conference on Aging, I was invited there, and Obama was president, President Obama at the time. And he said, everything will be fine until 2043. So we're, we're all under the gun with these big systems. And everybody agrees, that is bipartisan. Nobody is sanguine about Social Security or Medicare. We can save it through these programs while we're ahead of the game. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I'm inappropriate for my age. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit, because I am happy. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bowl, the Fountain of Truth. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping. You should know that we are on all the podcast disseminators now iHeartRadio, iTunes, uh, Stretcher, and uh, no, it's Stitcher. And every, uh, well, every Google, you name it, we're on it. So you can listen live, of course, at your broadcast station all over the country. And hello, Tampa, our new affiliate. Or you can simply go to generationbowlradio.us, 
where we have a player on it, and you can listen uh, to all of our archived shows. Or you can go to your favorite podcast disseminator that you subscribe to, and we are there free. So uh, in addition to that, if you take a look at my name, Adrian Berg, A-D-R-I-A-N-E-B-E-R-G.com, you'll see all that we can offer you with regard to speaking at your organization and a lot more. Now, right now, what I want to offer you is some insight into a law case that's taking place right now at the United States Court of Appeals level for the Fifth Circuit Federal Court. And the AARP, you all know the AARP, in this case it's the AARP Foundation. It's the nation's largest nonprofit, nonpartisan organization dedicated to empowering people 50 and older. And you all know it. I mean, it's part of our lexicon. I think the American language has idioms, but AARP. And uh, the fact is that they do a lot of different things. And we have here a senior attorney with the AARP Foundation, Mommy Gumphy. And she has been working on an amicus brief already filed as a friend of the court to support to support keeping the Affordable Care Act valid and not invalidating it. One of the things in the Affordable Care Act that's of concern, and it doesn't have to be the older American, but it generally is, is nursing home facilities. And who pays for what and how? So let's let's talk about that interface, Mommy, the, um, the way that the nursing home costs and what part of it might be covered by the ACA and might not if it becomes invalidated. Yes. You know, one of the things about the ACA is that it provides accountability and access to the long-term services and supports, including um, skilled nursing care, um, which are really critical to older adults and people with disabilities. There are two laws, acts, I should say, that I want to talk about specifically, because these were things that were um, being fought over and being discussed in Congress long before the Affordable Care Act, but it was, they were never passed into law. And the part of the Affordable Care Act actually codified these things, which are very important to older adults, in particular in the area of accountability and safety. So the first one I'd like to talk about is the Nursing Home Transparency and Improvement Act. What that is, it expanded access to nursing facility information to improve accountability and ensure resident safety. So it required nursing facilities to disclose all sorts of information so people could finally hold people accountable but also know and have an idea of what kind of compliance and care the nursing facility was providing its residents. One of the biggest um, victories that were going through the act is that we now nursing facilities have to electronically submit direct care staffing information based on payroll and other verifiable data. The reason why this is so key for older adults is that CMS has recognized that daily staffing levels in a facility affect the quality of care and outcomes. So, for example, you can imagine if there are not enough people working in the facility, things such as making sure people get their food on nutrition on time um, slows down. But more critically even, people can sometimes suffer falls because instead of two people lifting them, right, there's only one the person. Yes, exactly, yeah, answering the bell. Thinking, answering the 
bell. It's as simple as that. Where is everybody? I'm on the floor. You know. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so what this does is it provides an opportunity. So if someone says, hey, I've been ringing this bell, no one came, right. we now can look back with transparency and see what was the staffing like at what that happened? time. Oh. You know, it's so interesting. The The Washington Conference on Aging comes once every 10 years, and whoever's president has a lot of influence. And the last one was under Obama, and I, w- I was mentioning that I had been invited to it. And what what happens is the big agendas are set. Mm-hmm. And one of the big agendas is just what you're talking about. One of the, It was particularly his big agenda, but there were Republican and Democratic presidents before him that also had this and will in the future. And that was elder abuse in nursing homes. It was a big deal. And yeah. uh, it was representative of the attorney general was there and so on. So they want to crack down on elder yeah. abuse. Well, this is all part of it. This this whole idea of transparency in nursing homes is actually all part of that system as well. It's not only your health, top health care. It's also top vigilance that we're talking yes. about here. So, yep, yep. So it's And it's not only for the older adults. It's for their caregiver, their caregiver family, that this is so important as well. So you're saying that there were two areas. That was one. What was the second one before we we have to say goodbye? Oh, okay. The second one was the Elder Justice Act. And the reason why that was so critical is that that was really the first comprehensive federal law fighting elder abuse, neglect, and exploitation. And it has really sweeping provisions um, that include funding adult protective programs, grants to enhance long-term care. So I just want to underscore, too, also that that was something that had been fought for for many years but then got codified in the um, Affordable Care Act. And I do want to just add, sneak in there one last area, because I think this is particularly important to your listeners. Um, The other thing the ACA does is it really helps people um, receive, receiving Medicaid-funded long-term care services um, to be able to receive these, these services in their homes to make sure that they're able to age in place. And I know for a lot of people it's very important that they're able to live independently in their own homes. And so one of the things ACA did was create specific programs, such as the Community First Choice Option, that provides states with federal funds to allow them to have personal care services and things like that that keep older adults and persons with disability in their homes and communities. So I just want to underscore just the, the wide range of benefits that the Affordable Care Act provides for older adults and why it's so well, important that we you don't know, lose these hard-fought gains. As the judge says, Counselor, you have made your case. <laughs> that is absolutely so true. We thank you so much for being with us. And, you know, we say this every single end of show. All of us, get out there, kids, and make it happen. 